Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. This is the story of the rich young ruler, as told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. We don't hear much about this man's background or future in the Gospel narratives, so I've used some artistic licence to give more context, which I hope is at least plausible. It gives us a rare glimpse of what many might consider a failed encounter with Christ. That is, someone who comes to him with an apparent open heart and mind, but finds a challenge that's not easy to accept. It was like an itch or irritating insect bite that had lingered for longer than one ought a nagging, gnawing at my humours, like something was out of place, a tessera at half-noticed misplaced from one of the house mosaics, perhaps, or some piece of legislature I'd forgotten to sign. No, it wasn't either of those. It was deeper. The words of my good friend Marcellus kept coming back to me, swimming around my mind like a shoal of listless tilapia. I'm telling you, Felix, he's a fascinating man. You really ought to talk to him. I remembered him saying last night, his wine-stained teeth smiling amid the noise and revelry. He'd gotten distracted then, called away by some other society noble, keen to share their latest scheme or anecdote. It wasn't that, of course, just the suggestion of talking to a fascinating man. I met fascinating men all the time. It was everything else Marcellus had told me about him, this Jesus. A nobody in many respects, no particular wealth, no official power, but a teacher and, according to many, including Mark, a healer. I'd heard about him from a few people now, normally a passing jibe about the latest prophet come to emancipate Israel, which I rarely gave a second thought to, but there was something different here. He, Jesus, had been talking about the kingdom of God, which I had assumed referred to Israel, a free Israel perhaps, but Israel all the same. But what Mark then described was really strange. Apparently Jesus had been teaching that the weak and poor people would be the new rulers in this kingdom. The sick, the persecuted, the peace lovers. Well, he hadn't said rulers, but just that the kingdom would be theirs. It made no sense to me. I had been a law-abiding Jew all my life. I'd honoured my father and mother, not lied or defrauded anyone, not stolen, not killed, not cheated on my wife, and I'd been blessed as a result. I was rich, I had power and influence. I was living in the promise of Abraham. Surely, if there was to be a new kingdom, a new free Israel... I would be perfectly placed to take up a lead role. Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, I had no place, or at least I wasn't mentioned at all. This kingdom was for the outcasts, the accursed, the ones who had sinned or were inheriting their parents' sin. What sort of kingdom would this be? What sort of life? Jesus had said that eternal life, the life of God, was the life of this kingdom. Did I not qualify? Were all of my efforts in vain? Maybe I should just give up following the law and make the most of it if that was the case. Still, what did I care? Who even was this man and what difference did it make what he claimed about this new kingdom of castaways? But that's the thing. I did care. I couldn't get the thought out of my mind. Mark had told me he was in the area and all I could think about was finding him and, well, clarifying a few things. The sun was up and beating hot when I set out. I waved my servants away at the gates. I didn't want to turn up mob-handed, and the journey wasn't far enough to warrant a horse. So I walked, 
the same thoughts circling my mind now, transforming from agitating fish to hungry vultures, watching me, waiting to devour me, to undo me in some unfathomable manner. Sweat beaded on my brow and I could smell last night's wine surfacing through my skin. I should have bathed, I thought. I should have cleaned myself up for this meeting to give the best impression. I considered diverting, but the desire, the anxiety to meet Jesus was still growing and it couldn't be put off. I passed the market, ignoring the calls from my usual merchants, trying to offer me deals on their latest drinks and foods and crafts. They could wait. Beggars pocked the road adjacent, trying to take advantage of the moneyed environment. Dry and dirty hands, outstretched in front of weary faces, bloodshot eyes and missing teeth. I ignored them, quickening my pace to get through the bustle. I cycled my mind through my memory of the law, of all I'd learned as a child in Bet Rabban, ticking off everything I'd kept and silently justifying anything I'd done that could be considered a breach. Everyone made mistakes, right? I was okay, wasn't I? A little way ahead, I saw a small crowd gathered on the road. Families were cajoling their children forward to the centre of the circle where, as I glimpsed through the shifting throng, a man was laying his hands on their heads and saying something that I couldn't hear. It looked like some kind of informal blessing. He was smiling, shooing away his aides around him, who seemed to be trying to stop the children from coming forward. It was him. I knew it. I don't know how. I tried to remember if Mark had told me what he looked like, but I couldn't recall anything. But I just felt it. At about fifty yards away, I noticed the crowd start to disperse. I saw Jesus and his followers waving them off with smiles, more blessings and what looked like gifts of money to those who were clearly the poorest, dressed in little more than rags. He turned and began walking away, although before he did, I could have sworn he saw me. Just a glimpse, a hint of recognition. But he turned anyway. It was nothing, I thought. He doesn't know me. Still, I started to run and I felt a sudden urge of desperation well up inside of me, like I was on the edge of missing something vital. I caught them up quickly, darting through his followers so I could get in front of him. As I did, I caught his eye, and, again, felt like there was some recognition in his face. Without thinking, I found myself dropping to my knees, out of breath, and finally letting go of my suspense. "'Good teacher,' I gasped. "'What must I do to inherit eternal life?' Blood surged and my mind swam. Why was I here? Why did I care? But at the same time, I knew I had to hear this, to get this answer, to know my place. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, the edges of a gracious smile warming his features. No one is good, except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. He stopped and waited not seeming expectant of a reply, but not dismissive either. It was like the simplicity of what he had said invited no dispute, yet at the same time could be pondered for days or years. I did know the commandments, of course I did. Why had I called him good? Did I think he was good? I barely knew anything about him. I paused a moment to regather my composure. He had listed out the commandments. I knew I'd kept them, so it was okay. I was in. Teacher, I said, dropping the good this time. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. I looked up at him and gave a hesitant smile, waiting in return. Waiting what for? I don't know. Perhaps I wanted him to confirm that I'd kept them, to tell me I'd done well. Perhaps I wanted a blessing like he had blessed those children. He held my gaze for a moment, and I felt a wash of warmth float over me. There was something in his eyes, something deeply kind and wise, 
like a loving father, honest and trustworthy, but it was mixed with something like sorrow or pity. I don't know how I saw all of that in his face, but I know I felt it, and felt a craving rise within me, like I wanted to drink it in, or have it drink me. One thing you lack, Jesus said, interrupting my drifting thoughts. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. The words were spoken with warmth, like a kind invitation, but they hit me like a punch to the stomach. Sell everything. Everything. Everything I'd worked for, everything I'd been blessed with, my household, my security. Give it all up and give it to the poor. Those nobodies, scavengers who'd done nothing but make bad choices their whole lives. Why do they deserve my wealth, the reward for my goodness, my effort? Images of memories cascaded through my mind, choices I'd made, successes and victories. All my life's work, my focus and determination. All of my identity, my good deeds, and every time I'd said no to bad ones, and all the good fortune that had followed as a result. Give it all up. Throw it away like some worthless thing, like it had all been some joke or game, some fool's mission. And then follow him, this man I barely knew, this strange teacher of a beggar's kingdom. Follow him where? To what end? All the energy and apprehension and nerves drained out of me. Sounds became distant and I felt myself climb back to my feet, not meeting his eyes again. I wanted to. I wanted to see that fatherly face again, to feel that warm kindness emanating. But I knew what it cost. I knew it cost everything. His followers made space for me as I took a step to walk through them. I turned my face to the ground, conscious of the pitiful eyes watching me and waiting. I could feel him watching me too, like heat in the back of my head now, as if he was willing me to turn round. I felt pride try to rise up inside me, heard it whispering that I knew better, but it melted away like a withering flower and was replaced by the gentle, wounded bird of sorrow. Sorrow for my loss, sorrow for this choice, sorrow for having to lose everything, or to lose what could be everything too. I pulled my arms around me, suddenly feeling cold now despite the burning sun, and walked not knowing where. What do we take away from this? There's a few things that stand out to me. First is the in-your-face message. Give up your riches. If you're listening to this while living as a citizen of a developed, western, democratic country, you can pretty much assume the place of the rich man. Even if you don't think you're rich, relative to your peers, on the world stage you are. The question of what we can give away, of what we can do without, of how charitable we can be, should permanently nag at us. We shouldn't be asking ourselves, have I given enough? but rather, can I give more? On a deeper level, Jesus is open to this man and accepting of him. He doesn't just give him a riches test as a means to prove his goodness or worth. He offers him a whole new life. Sell everything, then come follow me. It's not just about the wealth and the sacrifice. It's about a new way, a new path to follow. We don't know what the rich man thought about this. The story only tells us of his sorrow due to his riches but we do know he walked away. He didn't reject Jesus like the Pharisees, debating his words and critiquing his character. He accepted it, even saw the truth of it, and was sorrowful because of it. There's a deep honesty to his response, like he knows that Jesus is right, that it's the only way, but at the same time, he just can't bring himself to make such a sacrifice. He counts the true cost, 
but isn't sure whether it might be too high. And Jesus doesn't make exceptions here. He doesn't offer some leniency or discount entry fee. There's no second option of staying rich if you promise to use your wealth for good causes, or even to give away a high proportion. It's all or nothing. Not because Jesus has exacting standards, but because it really is a different kingdom. It's a new life. You must enter with nothing to gain everything. There isn't a shortcut or back door. We might wonder where grace features in this picture of Jesus. Can any of us pass this test? Again, the second half of Jesus' proposal is vital. Come, follow me. It isn't a test to pass. Jesus isn't asking for an act of great virtue to buy a ticket to heaven. He's inviting you to embark on a radical journey of transformation. His grace is right there on that road, where he is also walking, welcoming you, loving you, and leading you.